Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show, where you will learn how to break yourself wide open to create personal and professional greatness. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to take a breath and express some love and appreciation for one of today's show's sponsors, Molecule Air Purification, reinvented for every room in your home. Molecule is reimagining the future of clean air with new and improved technology that destroys pollutants. Developed over 20 years by the Director of Clean Energy Research Center at the University of South Florida, Molecule's patented filtration system and proprietary photoelectrochemical oxidation known as PICO technology that breaks down pollutants to their basic harmless components. Molecule is state-of-the-art science that leaves antiquated HEPA filters in the dust. Spring is in the air and my nose and eyes can feel it. The air around me is filled with pollen, which has aggravated my sinuses and activated my allergies. Molecule is my best defense against allergy season because it eliminates dust, pollen, and pet dander, as well as other airborne pollutants like bacteria, mold, viruses, and other allergens that those old-fashioned HEPA filters only collect. Molecule's technology has been personally effective and verified by science, but most importantly, it's been tested, vetted, and proven effective by real people like me. I've been using Molecule in our home for a couple of years now and appreciate that cleaner air is healthier air. We keep our unit in the bedroom because breathing clean air improves our precious sleep. Molecule has already helped allergy and asthma sufferers around the country better cope with their conditions and significantly reduce their symptoms. One customer even said that she was able to breathe through her nose for the first time in 15 years. Molecule doesn't just have groundbreaking technology on the inside. It is sleek, modern, and beautifully designed on the outside, making it the apple of air purifiers. Join me in better breathing and receive 10% off your first air purifier order. Visit Molecule.com, that's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com, and be sure to enter the promo code HH10 at checkout. Once again, that's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com, and remember the promo code HH10 to receive 10% off your first air purifier order. Now let's dive into today's consciously prepared brain food. My first guest is Diana Wong, PhD, who is an associate professor of strategy, entrepreneurship, and organizational change in the College of Business at Eastern Michigan University, as well as CEO and president of Sensei Change, a strategic consulting firm. Her global life includes living and working in Papua New Guinea, teamwork on the U.S.-Canada Free Trade Agreement, also known as uh, NAFTA, right? Yeah. And teaching in in a graduate HR program in China and multiple projects in Africa and the Middle East, contributing her life as a grain of sand to rebalance the inequities of the world, drives her to serve and provide leadership for four nonprofit organization boards. And I'm super excited to have this conversation with you, Diana, because I'm learning a lot about being in person for 10 years we've done this show in a studio setting and and i'm out on the road for the first time with the show and i see being able to look into your eyes and connect from the heart in that way is the secret sauce well thank you lisa it's an absolute delight and an honor for me to be able to have this conversation with you i feel the same way (laughs) let's talk a little bit about strategic planning and what that actually means in a business setting but also when we talk about the strategic planning of our lives Mm. 
I was drawn to the field of strategy very early on, even without understanding what the word strategy in and of itself meant. But even as I understood the field, it's really about creating for the future and being able to create organizations to have a vision and move an organization and a group of people forward in a manner that allows all to be able to rise to their best. So for me, strategy entailed almost a whole person approach where both right brain and left brain thinking is necessary, skills from a broad array, and talent that needs to come forward in order to create almost like a full picture with all the different puzzle pieces. When you have one piece of the puzzle missing, the picture is incomplete. And so when people talk about visionary leadership, it's for me, strategy is really the not just the articulation of that vision, but being able to realize that vision and bring it into reality as a lived experience on a daily to a moment-to-moment experience for all who are involved. And when you talk about strategy, you're also talking about implementing change, which is very hard for people. Yes, and which is why the majority of strategic planning fails. And in the work that I do with students at Eastern Michigan University and with clients, it's about how to be successful with strategy. Even when you might not actually hit your goal, but you may come close. And so... Strategic change is very difficult because it often takes us into new territory that what we don't know, and what we don't know, we often have negative assumptions. So therefore, which is why a positive guiding vision is so critical. It allows people to step forward, to take the risks, and to be able to trust leadership in taking the risk. So in order to make strategic change, leaders actually have to build new competencies to move into that space. And I've had executives, a whole CEO team that have described themselves, and this is quoting a leader, if he's out there to hear this. (laughs) You might know who you are. (laughs) And he said to me, Diana, we're a bunch of 12 white guys over 40 and balding. They were a domestic firm that wanted to go global from about 350 million to a billion in a period of 12 years. So they were very clear about their strategy. Their tuition in that space was $43 million when they found out that their plant in Sweden and their plant in France had to be closed down because they did not do business the way that we do business in the U.S. So they didn't have the cross-cultural competencies to move into expanding in those spaces, although the market opportunities are there. So for me, strategic change is also about growing leadership competencies. And when they articulate that the next move is China, they say, okay, now we need to learn how to cross cultures and bring in some of that talent or build some of that talent amongst ourselves to be able to increase our diversity. So there's a clear business case for diversity. It's not touchy-feely for me. It has a business case that if you want to engage with a larger market, leaders have to change to be able to build capabilities to work with people from different backgrounds. So in order to do strategic change, leaders have to build those competencies. So that takes us into that whole executive coaching or with students, the leadership course that they need to take. So it spans in multiple spheres of my life. When we talk about the the core competencies, some of these competencies are the soft goods. Those are the most difficult (laughs) because the resistance I often have from leaders is that they go, well, here's the business case and they're focused on all the technical, not recognizing that if they don't build a team that's capable and a team that is coherently working together, that's usually the harder part to be able to move a strategy forward. So the soft skills amongst an executive team is usually the most challenging because it's intangible and it's the kind of experiences that one creates. So In working with many C-suite teams, what I often find, it comes down to back to the basics. When you're working with a dream team, how do you coach them? It goes back to the absolute basics. Listening. Yeah. You know, with a CEO, he goes, why don't anyone ever speak up in my meeting? Well, when you're pounding your fist on the table and ridiculing and humiliating the first person that speaks up, you get silence in the rest of the meeting 
while you're busy yelling. No one is going to speak if you're not listening. We have their attention, but that's about all. You have their attention and it's pseudo attention because they will be looking at you, but their minds are elsewhere. Thinking about what they have to do, do later. How do I get out? How do I get out? Or this guy really is a jerk, you <laughs> yes. know? But it really causes us to, or catalyzes us to look at ourselves. I think that what you do really is about looking at the reflection in the mirror. And when you're training leaders to be better leaders, how vulnerable are they willing to get with themselves about who they are? It depends upon the leader in terms of their openness to learning. Until there's sort of three types. One, I say leaders who have a growth mindset that are forward looking and constantly learning they're the easiest group to work with. Then there's a group of leaders who have overestimated their skills, overestimated their competency, and underestimated the challenge. That group is not ready to learn, so I often don't engage. And then the third group is usually when they have hit rock bottom, there's nowhere else to go, and literally they're in searching for help, and they have recognized that they are not capable of moving forward in the next challenge if they don't learn and change and develop. And so that's actually my favorite space is where the the leaders who already get it, who are already learning and progressing, they're easy, so they don't really need me. It's really the leaders who are lost and somewhat even resistant to learning, but they have some openness. That's my favorite group to work with. And oftentimes... It's not unusual that leaders will self-sabotage themselves. Even when you provide a reflection of where they're headed, it's about being able to help identify where the contradictions are and seeing, say, okay, if you want this, but you're behaving in the opposite manner. And it's having them recognize their own incoherence and lack of logic in that process. And the biggest clue I have is whenever someone says, I want this, great. And then they fall up, but, <laughs> and I go, all right, you have now just butted yourself out and self-sabotage where you want to engage. Where strategy comes in and strategic thinking comes in is reframing even that language. You want to do this and this needs to happen yes. versus you want to do this, but this can't happen. Okay. So now we have what we call a wicked problem. If you change a but to an and, you will now have a strategic problem. And when you frame your question as an and, how can this and this be possible? Now you have created a question that will hold space for you to explore strategic solutions. And let's talk a little bit about the power of questions. Oh, (laughs) I have loved the ability to be skillful and create competencies in asking questions. So that is something I have studied throughout. And oftentimes, one of my current recent references is A More Beautiful Question by Warren Berger. So if any of your listeners want to look up and build skills in this, yeah. that's one of my go-to references at the moment. Well, that will be one of mine. I am gonna, I'm going to buy that book. Because what I like about questions is, well, I like many things about them, but when we ask a question, the brain loves questions, right? So when we're in that questioning phase of another person, asking questions, open-ended questions, the mind goes to the question and, and stays out of rumination. So you've immediately got someone's focus when you're asking a powerful question. Yes, absolutely. So they're here with you. Yes. The value of questions increases as we have more information. We don't have a shortage of information in our world when you have Google at hand or Surrey at hand. The power and the competency to ask questions is a critical leadership skill. And I often say to my students as well as my clients that even when you know the answer, if you're building a team, what is the question you can pose to bring the rest of the team along? Because when you give the answer, that's you becoming an expert. But if you're going to lead, what is the question you can ask that allows others to enter into the same space? Talk about the importance of leaders not needing to know everything. The best leaders know what they don't know and allow others to team up. 
Yes. I think that is probably one of the most difficult transitions for leaders to understand. And it requires a level of humility and it requires a level of letting go of your own ego. In this space, I have a framework that I often use. On one level, when we first start our career, we're doing a lot of work, attending to tasks. We become experts at doing engineering, at doing nursing, at doing banking. But if you're going to manage, you have to let go and learn to delegate. But when, so therefore, that letting go part of it, becoming an expert in being a computer programmer to managing. But then when you lead, you know, how do you differentiate between leading, managing, and doing? Yeah. So therefore, as leaders recognize that it's about being able to assemble the resources, it's about building the team, it's about providing a vision going forward, motivating others to rise to a challenge when the odds are impossible. And so this is where when leaders are able to hold space for others to connect to. And so it's not about being the expert to have the answer, but it's being the visionary to create a greater vision that all can connect to from the deepest part of what it means to be human. And when we lose sight of that, we're just doing work for work's sake for the paycheck. And that becomes very empty after a while, no matter how big the paycheck. But at some point, when we think of our midlife crisis, <laughs> it's looking back over the last 20, 25 years and looking forward 20, 25 years. Who am I? What am I doing with my life? Yeah. Those are the openings to say, you know what? There could be another path going deep inside in order to reach out to the greatest good that you can contribute to as a human being to resource yourself. Let's take a break and we'll come back and we'll continue the conversation with Dr. Diana Wong. To learn more, please visit www.sensachange.com. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that's a guarantee. Before we head out to the break, I want to applaud all the men out there in the world. I'm talking about our dads and all the other guys who are father figures who positively touch our lives in so many ways. Father's Day is just around the corner and finding the perfect present for dad feels a little daunting just about now. Like many of us, this year I will not have the luxury of being able to celebrate with my father and my bonus dad. COVID-19, social distancing, and travel restrictions is preventing that close physical contact we crave, but it's keeping us safe and healthy for the long haul. And that's why one of our sponsors today, StoryWorth, is making it fun and easy to celebrate our dads and for them to share their stories with us. StoryWorth is a great way to stay in touch with family and helps bridge geographic distance by providing lively and inspiring discussion topics. Now more than ever, we need to find a creative and secure way to bond with those we love when we can't always be near them. And I know more than anything, parents cherish spending quality time with family. And that's why I'm giving my dad the most meaningful gift this year, a chance to connect with loved ones through StoryWorth. StoryWorth makes gift-giving hassle-free from the comfort and security of your home. StoryWorth is one of the easiest and most creative ways to strengthen connections with family members, preserve memories, take a deep dive into family history, and create a precious keepsake for our children and generations to come. Give someone you love a subscription to StoryWorth, and each week StoryWorth will email a meaningful question designed to elicit entertaining, surprising, and sometimes moving responses. At the end of the year, your loved one's stories and photos will be bound into a beautiful hardcover printed keepsake book that will be a treasure for generations to come. And here's a perk for our listeners. You will receive $10 off your subscription at storyworth.com slash HH. Learn more about those you love at storyworth.com slash HH and get $10 off your subscription. StoryWorth makes priceless gifts that will keep on giving. Now let's take that pause. We'll be right back. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. And we 
are back talking about breaking ourselves wide open to create personal and professional greatness. Let's get back to the conversation with my guest, Diana Wong. But before we do, I want to give a shout out of thanks for today's sponsor. I want to acknowledge the challenge of uncertainty. And uncertainty is practically the only guarantee in life. We humans love feeling like life is under control. But right now, life is pretty uncertain. Many of us are feeling stressed or even sick and tired of feeling stressed. I get it. I really do. The best medicine I know of for managing challenge and change is talking it out with a mental health practitioner. My self-care routine includes taking the time to speak with a therapist to help bolster my emotional well-being so I can continue to effectively, professionally serve others in maintaining theirs. We all need a little accountability and extra support, especially right now in unusual times like these. And that's why I'm proud to be partnered with one of today's episode sponsors, Talkspace Online Therapy. Talkspace has thousands of licensed therapists trained in more than 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, trauma, substance abuse, relationship issues, and more. If there's something specific you want to work on right now, they will find you someone right for you. While we might not be able to shake hands, high five, hug, or gather in person for solidarity, we can and should reach out for support. Talkspace is an affordable, secure, therapeutic platform that provides a virtual space to talk it out with a licensed therapist from the privacy and convenience of wherever you are, whenever, and for whatever is on your mind. Everyone deserves support and none of us has to struggle alone. Your Talkspace therapist can be your dedicated support system there to help you feel healthier and more empowered, even in these uncertain circumstances. We all need to talk sometimes and Talkspace gives us the support we deserve at a price we can afford. Match with your perfect therapist at Talkspace.com or download the app. Use promo code HAPPINESS to get $100 off your first month and show support for the show. That's Talkspace.com promo code HAPPINESS. Let's return to the conversation. Diana, prior to the break, we were talking a little bit about, not a little bit, a lot of it, about strategy and change and how it scales up in large companies and how it scales down at an individual level. I would love for you to share a little bit about your story and joy, because you told me something when we were speaking before we, be, we began the interview that really touched me. And I think it's important for listeners to understand that when we approach this work with the whole heart and the whole person, that's where the joy lives. Mm -hmm. That's a very personal story. And thank you for creating the space uh. for this. In a journey of joy, it does not mean that everything is just always happy and it's all um, beautiful metals and gardens all <laughs> um, sunny days. Puppy dogs and kitties right. and unicorns and rainbows. <laughs> um, so my discovery in thinking about joy and having riches work in my life and so forth was at a very dark moment, three o'clock in the morning. It was one of those when I sort of woke up suddenly and my question was, what if one is short on joy? In that darkest moment of the night, um, that question arose because 18 months earlier, my sister-in-law passed away, and she was 46, leaving behind a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old. Then six months later, my own sister at 44 passed away, leaving behind three children at the age of 8, 7, and 5. So five children lost two moms. Six months after that, my own dad passed away. So it was after his passing, I thought, you know, this is deep grief. And in this moment of deepest darkness, what happens when joy is absent? So then the answer that came forth was that one must have faith. Faith is when you know for sure, but it's not clear. And that you could still move forward back to joy with the knowledge that you have. But then what happens if you're short on faith? then one must have hope. Hope is when you don't know, but you hang on to that optimism that things will still be all right. And with hope, you also will have resource to learn more in order to return to faith and get back to joy. But what happens if you're short on hope? Then it's about patience. And patience, you need to wait 
when things still aren't feeling good, to be able to return back to hope. But patience can be exhausting. So where do you go when you're short on patience? So then the clearest answer was to go to the eternal source where you can be supported and nurtured in order to return to patience. That internal source is love. That was clear for me because as I think of how many decades do mothers wait or do lovers wait for one another in order <laughs> to yeah. um, return to that relationship, you know, we don't love just for a couple of years. When we have deep love, it resources us to have patience that's endless. Yeah. And from that patient, we get to have hope. Hope allows us to be open, to be informed with optimism, to learn more. So in the space of hope, one is gathering information to be informed. And then with faith to continue taking steps forward because one knows and have a level of assurance and therefore you can step back into joy. And how does one teach love on a macro level within organizations or teach the security, give people the security to know that love is the North Star? Um, in consulting and in the business world, love is one of the rarest words to ever yeah. be used. Even though when we privately as human beings starve for it and it's a necessity to pull us through some of the deepest crisis in organizations to have turnarounds. Um, and so part of it, when you think about the mass, I would look to examples in our history and in our faiths of loving leaders. Of loving leaders. Leaders who have had some of the world's greatest impact through history. Name a few examples. Okay, so from my own personal faith, it would be Christ. And then I think of Gandhi. I think yeah. of Martin Luther King, Desmond Tutu. Yeah. And so we have living examples of people with great faith. Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, the Dalai Lama. Yeah. And so it's not about one faith. It's really about how as human beings we resource ourselves with that deep eternal source. Because I have worked with many leaders, especially in executive coaching. When we get down to the heart of the matter, there is often times with some of the behaviors that are misaligned with what ideal leadership needs to be for the organization, that there was often a gap in their most important growing up years where there was an absence of love or a disruption. Yeah. Yes. And so when one learns that, how does one get to recalibrate? And so I often find that in those spaces, as an executive coach, I'm limited. And so therefore I partner with other helping professionals, such as psychologists or psychiatrists, because there was a disruption in the early years of love that has then created certain ways of coping, but that coping as a leader is not helpful for the way they impact others around them. And so part of this support in leaders looking at, it's about how they live love. It's not about walking around being lovey-dovey all the time. No. <laughs> but it's that source that get, provides the energy and the force and the way to connect in with another human being that, you know, they just need a hello today. You know, as you walk by as a CEO, when you say hello to someone, it means a great deal. I've seen the opposite happen. When I saw a CEO walk by a receptionist, the CEO sneered at him. I go, Oh my goodness, I went up afterwards to the person. I go, what was that all about? They go, I don't know. That's just the way he normally behaves. And wow. so just the <laughs> feeling of that is that um, I don't know what happened with the seal, but he didn't realize or have the self-awareness as he yeah. moves through the organization, the damages he creates in the well-being of his employees. Alternatively, I watched someone like Rich and James, how they spread joy just even by how they rise to the occasion. And they don't even have to be here. The joy carries on because the employees will pull up whatever they need to, to because they will go beyond the call of duty when there is that care and love built into the culture. 
reciprocity. I mean, it's reciprocity of positive emotion and action. Yeah, and it's an upward spiral. Yes. And so I just sort of see it as being able to, it's not just reciprocity, but it's really an upward escalation of a spiral going upwards versus the downward spiral of negativity. Yes. And so as any leader has the potential impact to go one way or the other, that doesn't mean that positive leaders don't have bad days, but it's how they manage those bad days that the organization doesn't spiral downwards. Yeah. People understand there's going to be tough moments in business, but how do we move forward together during those tough moments? That is what's most telling. Rather than, it's, it's not just a celebration of the happy days, but you know what? This is a really tough assignment. I'm not sure what we're going to do, but I know that with everyone in the room here, we can do this. My faith is in each one of us to be able to work together to make this happen for our client because our client is doing incredibly important work and we're to support them so they can have a bigger impact and a positive impact on their customers. If only each one of us at the beginning of each day would start with that mantra in our mind, imagine how the world would change. Yeah. So there was a great example from an insurance company. Yeah. When they had asked the folks, and it was a story here that I had learned at Menlo, when they had asked the insurance um, guys, you know, who are your customers? They said policyholders. They go, no, huh. it's the beneficiaries. When they need you at the most critical time, what is the response from the insurance company? I can, I can, I can think of my own experience with an insurance company at one of those times. Yeah. It was not friendly. Yeah. So when you're at um, Ford Motor Company or at GM or Honda, any of the automotive manufacturers, and you're building a vehicle, it's not just the driver, it's the family. Yeah, and the safety, the safety yes. of each one of the people that yes. get in that car yeah. and their experience. Yes. Yeah, and that's a, that's a different mindset. Yes. You know, with each word that we speak, it's yeah. not just for this moment. No. So when we use a phrase like, for the greater good, there's very deep meaning if you take that statement or that phrase down to core yeah. critical moments of how you move through the day. I agree. We were, we're grinning at each other from ear to ear. You shared with me an incredible exercise that I absolutely love, and I'm gonna I'm gonna borrow and give credit to you every time I share it, which is the three word story. Okay, I don't think I can take credit for that. I'm not sure where I got it from, but it was very inspiring. When you think about who you are as a leader, if you were to distill the core of your being to three words, what would be those three-word story that you will hold on to? And in this three-word story, it's not just about your job. It's yeah. how you are in the family, it's how you're in the community, how you are in your faith organization, how you move through the world on a daily basis, no matter who or what you come in contact with, what businesses you do. And so my three-word story, and it took me a long time, it took me about three months to get to my three-word story, and almost another three months to figure out the order. But my three-word story is manifest divine synchronicity. And that is at the core of my identity of who I am, regardless of who I'm working with or what sphere I'm working with or who I'm serving or who I'm being with. So it's almost like a mission statement, but it's really about the core value of the individual. Like, who are you really? Yes. And, and it's those three words, that tiny little story that speaks volumes. Yeah. And this, you have to answer for yourself. There is no one right answer. Some, for some people, it may change a little bit over time, but it's really, you're right on the money in asking the question, who are you? Yeah. So, who are you really? Yes. <laughs> so I would say, I am Diana Wong, who manifests divine synchronicity. Diana Wong, thank you for joining us on the show. To learn more about Diana's work, please visit www.senseichange.com. That's again, senseichange.com. Thank you so much. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a guarantee. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? 
Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. Welcome back to the show. We are talking about breaking ourselves wide open, what it means to create personal and professional greatness. My next guest is Darren Tully. Darren has worked for a set of major corporations for the past several decades and had an epiphany that the life that he was leading with is really or was really incongruent with his beliefs. And he had a loss of that childlike wonder and delight and found his way home to himself. And that's how I'm going to start this. Darren, thanks for joining me on the show. Yeah, happy to be here. We're excited. Thank yeah. you. Oh, it's a pleasure. I, I, you and I met through our mutual friend, Rich Sheridan of Menlo Innovations. And Rich is one of the reasons, is the reason that I am at the Positive Business Conference. He is a master connector, um, and he does so with such joy and enthusiasm. And I believe that you and Rich connected because you had done some trainings over at Menlo Innovations. And through your work with Rich and others, other programming, realized that your life in finance was perhaps outmoded to the life of joy that you are now living in. That's right. Rich is uh, an amazing guy. He's, a, he's really been a good mentor, an amazing mentor to me. He says and talks about in his books about paying it forward, and he does just that. He's, yeah. He has connected us. He's actually connected me to this amazing conference and the positivity that uh, this conference brings. And yeah, I think our journeys are fairly similar when I think about where Rich reached a point where he was fed up. And I'm still in corporate America. I found a path that I wasn't going on was what I really believed in was my, my path, my journey, my calling, my purpose. And what I realized is that uh, I think I had it backwards. I, I felt like uh, when I realized that I, I was upside down. Well, you told me a story that I would love for you to share with our listeners about being that nine-year-old boy on the paper route. Oh, thank you. It's, and something that you had done when you were that age that was purely authentic and really speaks to who you are and allowed us to escape from you. Yeah, that's true. When I, when I reflect back... I recall that there was this time when I was a paper boy, I was nine years old, and I recall uh, going on the weekends, it was a little bit different than the week, the papers were a little bit heavier, in particular on Sundays, I felt like I would go and, and drop the papers off, and the neighbors happened to be at their doors, waiting for the paper, they were very excited to read paper, can you imagine that if you think about where we are today? But when I go back, I remember people were basically half-dressed, uh, barely dressed, disrobed practically, <laughs> Disheveled, and I wondered why they were so disheveled. And, and then I started to wonder what what got them excited. What was their passion? Who are these people? Because they looked like they were walking around like zombies. And I went back to a couple of my friends, uh, and we talked about uh, some ideas and brainstormed some 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 ways to get this out of our our neighbors. And to uh, to our delight, we actually went back out to our neighbors and started to ask them those questions. And we decided to create a local paper. We, we lived on a street called Sylvan Avenue, and we ended up calling this local paper the Sylvan Gazette. What we found is we would ask these questions. Uh, we were nine-year-old kids, and we were pretty genuine about it. We were harmless, so folks actually opened up and shared their stories that they found joy in, where maybe it was gardening tips or about their pets or vacations or about their kids' accomplishments or, or whatever made them tick. And what I realized is that people really opened up people blossomed. And uh, when we shared these stories, people were really becoming uh, eager to hear about the next set of stories. And what I saw, or at least what I recall, is I felt like people were waving each other down to stop each other, to connect with each other, because they were, they were really interested to learn about each other. And the learning I, I, I take away from that is when you give people a chance, they will amaze you. If you ask them questions with care and genuine interest, and you allow them to, to share with you and, and you want to be there curiously listening and, and learning and being positive, it's amazing what happens. And I didn't know when I look back in time, I've always had that in me. I just didn't know that until recently. And you went on from nine years old and you went through school, went through university, 
became a CPA. Yes. And has been working in finance for several decades and came to a place where you realize that although that's been a fine career, that it's not really where your heart lies or where joy resides for you. Absolutely true. Yes, I, I started as a CPA with a love for numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Even back to the, uh, my original purpose for the paper was to get candy money. And I didn't realize that I had it upside down or had it backwards even then. Yeah. And I, I went through a few moments where I went to a training and I had a purpose that I wanted to bring the best out uh, of myself and those around me each day. And I remember going to this training. It was a four-day training. And uh, it was surrounded by people that weren't like me, that were different than me. And I, I always lived in this bubble that, I, that I, I'm a good person. I'm trustworthy. I connect people. I bring out the best where I can. And what I realized that after a couple of days of this training, I felt dishonest. I almost felt fake because I was doing all those good things, but in the bubble that I lived in, and, and I, I found connection to be easy, but I only did that with connection of sameness or similarities, likeness, things that we could relate Safety. to. Safety, right. It was safe, <laughs> right. And, and I thought that was the right answer, I suppose. And I, boy, was I wrong, because I remember going through a, a few moments there where my bubble burst, and I realized that I wasn't open to the rest of the people in the room that I thought I was. And I was being, I felt dishonest. I felt like uh, I wasn't being the best self that I could be. So then how could I bring out the best to them after seeing that? So I actually broke down and I shared, shared that with the folks and, and I actually cried in front of folks. I was vulnerable, mm. which is not something I've done because as a CPA or going through my earlier parts of my career, I, I was even uh, asked, you know, do I laugh or, you know, why are you so serious at work or why are you uptight? And, and that's not who I am. Like, I love life. Like, I, I love bringing the best out of people. And what, what I ended up realizing that these unconscious biases or even our subconscious mind was taking over. And I, when I opened up my dialogue with other people and started to ask them who they are and their differences, I actually, I couldn't believe what happened is that my bubble actually was not a devastating moment. It was actually a powerful, positive learning moment where I expanded my bubble and I expanded my opportunity. I expanded my purpose. And from that moment, I, I, I realized I wanted to help people live and see a life of what is possible because I couldn't see it. And now I can see so many different things. And as a, as a reminder of that, I actually, actually just to have fun a little bit, I, I carry a pink pen around with me every day. I, I write thank you notes and contracts and, and uh, it reminds me of the differences that are around us each and every day. The pink pen, the branding on your website is is it's pink and white. Yes. You know, so well, pink is the sign of strength, right? And a man who's comfortable in pink is a man who's comfortable in his own skin. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, so I, that makes sense to me. But you know, we have these heartbreaking moments when we can look at them as being broken wide open, rather than broken to little pieces. Again, that's that reframe that is so much a part of the positive dialogue. Both could be true, right? We have these monumental turning points in our lives. They could be absolute devastation or they could be catalysts for greatness. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree with that. I, I feel we learn the most when we go through uh, downturns or failures or perceived failures that you know, we, we want to make the most out of. Going back to Rich, they talk about making mistakes faster so that they can learn and grow. And then I love that. Uh, model that Run he talks about is that the best that. <laughs> it's the best and you know jane jane dunton who's a world-renowned professor spoke yesterday about having your reservoir filled and and some people can understand that and i hope people do that you know you're setting yourself up with positive things around you uh, for me it's this watermelon guy that um, is on my website and other positive things like this pig pen but what i realized is that i, I have a reservoir i have an amazing family that's there for me. I have these amazing contacts and networks and friends that have always been there. And I've been learning and growing because I don't want to be just average. I, I, I'm eager to constantly learn. I didn't know why I was reading all these books over, the, over my lifetime. Now I get it. And now it's this reservoir that actually allowed me to get through my bubble bursting and expanding where I wanted to go and expanding to the broader purpose where I can help people see what's really possible for them using happiness as a way to get there, having them connect to their own purpose and to where they want to be. And what I see as you're describing that is you talk about the, the in the past of being fearful 
perhaps of people who are not like you, that being most joyful, most robust in an environment where everybody was like you, seems to me that your part of your role is, is getting to people in that same mold that you had been and allowing them to access the world through a different colored lens. That's exactly true. I, it's White being, male American, yeah. get in there and <laughs> tear it up. <laughs> exactly, in yeah, in a good way, of course. Yeah. And I think there's, there's, you know, there's definitely some fear of the unknown, not knowing how to connect with people that aren't like you, that, that have, do have differences, and changing it to be, I wanna be curious, and I wanna be positive about that. And there's this beauty within each of us that's waiting to be unleashed. That's something that I, I learned uh, as a belief coming out of that moment where my bubble did burst, is that, no, there's, a, there's this light inside all of us. There's this beauty that's there, and I'm trying to unleash it. I'm trying to ignite it. I'm trying to spark it. Pick whatever word you'd like. Yeah. Uh, if you want to be more creative, you want to be more joyous, happier, if you want to have more love, that's what I'm trying to connect with. It could be more spiritual feelings. Uh, I'm trying to let people know that you can change. I'm proof of that uh, to the point where I've turned my thinking and my passion around from just getting the numbers done and connecting people to numbers. So now it's about people first and connecting people to anything that's important to them. And we're all different. We all have unique desires and items that make us happy. And uh, I'm yes. trying to let people see that. Sorry, I interrupted you. But I was going to say yes and no that we're all different. Yes, we all have different interests, right? We all have different strengths. But the reservoir of strengths are you know, pretty similar. But at the end of the day, what each one of us wants is pretty darn similar. I agree, right? with, I agree like with that. People will say, oh, I just want to be happy. That's usually the first thing that I hear, you know, or that, you know, I, I want my family to be well. I want my I want to feel really connected with the people that are closest to me. I want to, you know, achieve some goal that I have for myself. I mean, yes and no. Right. We're similar and we're not similar. But at the end of the day, really, what we all want for ourselves is no different than the other guy, regardless of the color of his or her skin. I couldn't agree with you more. That's yeah. well said. I love that. It, the fears, the hopes, the dreams, the doubts, the traumas, all of it, you know, in the sea of humanity, the, the stories change, you know, the yes. characters change, but the themes are there. The themes are what unite us, actually. Absolutely. It, that reminds me, too, is when we started with uh, my story as a, as a child, is that we have these childlike skills that seem to dim away over time that really never go away. It's just a matter of how do you spark them to the level that gets you excited. And for me, it's, it's that, uh, the world of being curious. And this, this word called possibility is, that, is really my biggest purpose in helping people connect to that and see that. And you know, when I was young, another brief story is that we used to have races down our street. We used to have toothpick races down our street. <laughs> Imagine that. Right? Thought experiment. Take a look so, in your mind's eye about what a toothpick race is <laughs> like. We're going to go to a break. Okay. And when we come back, we're going to educate our listeners on uh, the art of toothpick racing okay. and how it ties into Igniting Happy. Okay. Your website to learn more about Darren Tully, his work, his upcoming book, go to www.ignitehappy.com. On Facebook and Twitter, those handles are also Ignite Happy. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that's a guarantee. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book. Are we happy yet? Eight keys to unlocking a joyful life. A boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to the show. We're talking about personal and professional greatness. Let's get back to the conversation about happiness with Darren Tully. And right now he's going to pick up where we left off, talking about toothpick races on Sylvan. <laughs> there were some good times. <laughs> good times. Good times. Uh, keep, you know, keeping it simple. Going back to yeah. when we were, you know, we were children, and life was uh, much easier, where we could actually enjoy, you know, the little things, and uh, it was a blast. As I was mentioning, is that when it would rain, we would hope it would pour, and we took the most out of what we could. Uh, we lived on the street that had a slight, an ever slight decline. 
And it was perfect for toothpick racing because when it would rain, <laughs> I know it sounds so silly, but I appreciate us enjoying the silliness of this. I love it, toothpick races. It, and uh, what, what happened when it would rain, it would actually just start to trickle down and then the more rain, it would actually really rush down the street. And my favorite time was in the spring when there was still ice around, so there'd be ice jams and a lot of reasons for your toothpick to get caught. Yeah, yeah. And it was a big uh, achievement if you won the race. And uh, yeah, I recall one time bringing out a pack of uh, toothpicks and uh, I remember I was a little bit behind as I was growing up. And at that point in time, I brought out a packet that was all the same color. So it's kind of hard to have a race when it's all the same color. And I ran back inside. I kind of chuckled to say, okay, I could, I could figure this out. So I actually found a packet that was multicolored. I remember those boxes yeah. where there's the green, the yellow, the blue, and the red. Exactly. Little tiny wooden toothpicks. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. The, the hors d'oeuvre toothpicks. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd run back out there and say, pick your toothpick, pick your toothpick. And then everybody would grab it and make sure we have different colors. And then we would race. And uh, we would literally uh, start and uh, we would run down the street and watch them go and You'd have to wait five seconds if it gets stuck on a leaf or rock or the ice. And uh, you're not allowed to stomp on anybody's toothpick. You had to wait. You had to wait. So if you got stuck, you couldn't move it. You couldn't yeah, adjust yeah, it. Yeah. But we couldn't be stuck the whole time. You'd get like a five-second penalty. Uh, and and then, could you give it an assist? Then you can give it an assist. Yeah. And you weren't allowed to touch anybody's toothpick, which is probably a good rule. Right. It makes, it's, it makes perfect sense. It's, it's kindergarten sandbox rules. You, know, that's, you that's don't exactly right. touch anybody's toothpick unless they invite you to touch their toothpick. <laughs> Note to self. <laughs> rules great. for living, you know? <laughs> that's right. It's those simple rules that we yeah. tend to forget or we tend to shy away from as we, as we age. So I, I remember those days that uh, we were just uh, probably our, our happiest and for me anyway, and most creative and innovative and, uh, I think I've I found my path back to that because I feel that I'm able to see that again, where I, I think I lost my way for a, a bit. We should challenge the listeners to close their eyes for a second and think of their own toothpick racing moment. Everybody's got Love something. That. Love right? that. Like, so just like take a second, because I've got, I've got mine now on my mind's eye, and I encourage whoever is listening to... Have that conversation around your dinner table tonight with those that you love <laughs> to capture your toothpick racing moment of childhood. Like for me, I used to make mud pies and I would serve them. Nice. <laughs> so stupid, but I used to have such glee in, you know, making, forming the, the pies in the pie tin and then pretending I was a, a server, a waitress yeah. in, a, in a pie shop. And that made me smile. Yeah. And uh, everybody's it, got that. Absolutely. You were very creative. What else about that did you like and do you recall? Uh, well, I had imaginary friends because I grew up at that age as an only child. It was before the siblings came along. So I could just go out in my grandparents' backyard. They had a lot of property and make these mud pies and go into this whole imaginary world that was just pure and simple and easy and joyful. And I, I found contentment in that. Yeah. I think that is part of the discussion, right? That sounds peaceful and sounds safe too. Yeah, peaceful, yeah. safe, relaxing, joyful, pure. What other words describe innocent? Like innocent yeah. and and enough. Like there was no other place I would rather be. My guess is for you too, when you were in the midst of those toothpick races, that that was the ultimate for that moment. For that moment, that was wonderful. Yeah, and, and hanging out with other people. I, yeah. I loved connecting with my friends and. Yeah, sharing that with other people is pretty powerful. And nothing's changed. No. Everything has changed, <laughs> but nothing has changed, right? Because you realize that, that that little sweet spot is something that, that you and I have learned, you know, trial by error, how to access as, as adults. Yeah, absolutely. And, and doing that through connection and, and caring. Yeah. I think, there's, I think we both share... A desire to have people bring out their best and harvest happiness, which is your, which is your company here, which is fabulous. And uh, harvest happiness, ignite happiness, foster happiness in others. You know that the positive contagion, which is what this conference is all yes, about. Yes. And you mentioned something really cool when you came in. You were like, you said, and I think you said it on the air. It's like you feel like you're home in this environment. Absolutely. Like, and I do too. Like we're we're choir members in this, <laughs> in this big choir here. And our job is to go out and teach others to sing. Absolutely. And the thing is, we all can sing. Oh, yeah. And, and, and like your, your slogan about happiness is an inside job. 
that's the first thing I connected with as I believe we can, we need to ignite happy from within. We've learned to shy away from things like that again, but we got to allow ourselves to go back and sing and, and have joy. And, and be willing to fail. You know, we talked a little bit about failure earlier. And many years ago, I uh, uh, interviewed Gretchen Rubin, who wrote The Happiness Project. And she said that I want to experience the fun of failure. And that line has always stuck with me. I love that. Because none of us really thinks of failure as fun. But when we can think of the failure as something that is humorous or fun and a teaching moment for ourselves... It takes on a different meaning. Absolutely. In our world today, that's what I worry about with folks that I see in corporate America is people are withdrawn or, or maybe stuck or maybe stuck on smart technology, which is actually the irony of that is, is it's actually dumbing us down and it's making us numb to yeah. the emotions and in, in our inner selves to connect with the world. Don't get me started on that. I could go <laughs> on and on and on about but, but let's talk about, you know, just um, the risk and failure, because I think it's important to share the story of once again going back to how we came together and how I arrived at the Positive Business Conference. For 10 years, I've been doing this show. We have not missed a week in 10 years. And it's a lot to produce a show like this and with the consistency and the quality. And, you know, I think we do a pretty good job at it. But I've been in a studio recording this show. I have a little home studio for 10 years. And when Rich and I connected, his publisher, I think, came to us and pitched his book, Chief Joy Officer, we immediately connected on the air and agreed that we would do more together. And he said, why don't you come to Ann Arbor for the Positive Business Conference and, and interview people? I'm like, okay, just like unequivocal, yes, I will show up. Great idea. Which is part of my personal mantra. I show up. I want to be known as that person that shows up. And I do. Having no idea how I was going to make that happen technically. And then I had a friend who is a uh, sound engineer for all of the big festivals and you know Coachella and all those festivals he goes in and he does the sound and he's like a god in the sound engineering world goes on um, big films and he says oh you can get this little product and you can take your show on the road and I have felt like it has been the liberator because for 10 years it's been a very solo experience it's myself and the guests connecting in this virtual world and then coming out with a little briefcase of equipment to actually like connect in person. It's like, I don't know if I can ever go back to the uh, office. Yeah, I love this. That this was a long-winded great. description, but that's how, that's the synchronicity, I think, that you and I are speaking of. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. And I think we, we speak sometimes from a, a place of certainty because we've done it a certain way, as you mentioned with your yourself, and we get stuck in that and we think that's the only way or the norm. Yeah. And that, that's, I love the word curiosity. Uh, I, love, I love the word wonder. Uh, I love again back to Rich's run the experiment. It's it's all similar. It's we got to test things out. You got to try things out and be different. Look for differences. Look for ways to really make us better as better human beings. And if imagine if we all did that and gave a little positivity to the world every day and and tried no, to I'm connect. Up with emotion. <laughs> imagine. Yeah, it'd be powerful. And that, that's the place. That's the world I want to live in. Well, that's the world we're living. In. You know, we are. Living, we've got our, our uh, choir gowns on, and we are we are singing the tune and helping others, you know, to sing as well and to soar. Yeah. And that is, that's happiness in action. That's joy in action. It is. Yeah, I feel like we're home. We're home, and yeah. we've and you know, igniting others to be the best that they can be. What a great thing. Yeah, it's. I love it, and I love your emotions and your sharing. That's oh, really yeah. authentic. Oh well, yeah, I will cry. I appreciate the drop it. Of a hat. You know, <laughs> why not? You know, you get to a certain yeah. age and you don't want to hold it back. Yeah, and I, I agree. I, I, I've. I think some folks would say that I don't share my emotions enough. Yeah, well, I've seen it here. You do. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I'm trying. Yeah, That's really my yeah. my journey is to be more authentic and vulnerable and real. Meaning, just why? Why be guarded? Why? Just because I'm a male, I'm not allowed to share emotions. No, that White shouldn't male be. American. Yeah, exactly. Let's be Make it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be visual. <laughs> He's blushing, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but it, there's such opportunity, though, to help all of us and to bring out the best, to bring out what makes us blush, and, and you know, back to what is really inside us, and to be conscious about it because. I, I think some of the stories I've shared earlier, and even that blush is that I have, you know, there's probably these subconscious moments that we live by, and that's scary. 
because we need to get present, we need to get conscious, and we need to really live in the world we're here. Like you said, we're here, so let's live it. Here. We're, we're right here now. So why not, you know, I call it like, you know, it's like suck the marrow out of life, you know, yeah. like just take as much as we can and run with it, run with the goodness. The badness is there. Yeah. I mean, we all know that the badness is there, but it's where we focus our attention is where we end up finding ourselves. So if we're residing in the things that we believe we cannot do, you know, or we don't want to happen versus the possibility, the art of possibility is one of the other guests talked about in our interview. If we reside there, then the world opens up to us. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And, and we, you know, a couple of the uh, speakers, Kim Cameron, another one talked about positive energizers. And that's yeah, what you're you speaking that. to is keeping on the forefront of being positive and imagine what we could do to the world and the lights we could turn on. And, and I, I, I'm so grateful for, you know, my, you know, just my kids being involved, too, because they you'll see on my website, the watermelon guy story, the WG story, and my kids find them in the world everywhere, which is the logo of Ignite Happy, which is not representing really how to look through a kid's eye with a curious sense of wonder and knowing there's yes. tons of possibilities there. But my kids say to me all the time now, anything is possible, dad. Like if I, if I, they challenge me now, which is awesome. Yeah. And I love that. We're gonna stay tuned together and report an update in a few months. I'd love that. And to see, to experience your evolution from a white male in corporate America to Darren going out and being an uplifter and an igniter, because it's on. It's the on. Mission is on. I'm in. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. To learn more about Darren Tully, his upcoming book, Ignite Happy, please go to www.ignitehappy.com. On Facebook and Twitter, he can be found at those same handles. Thank you, Darren. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness this week. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guest, Diana Wong and Darren Tully, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay joyful. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with TogiNet Radio, KBUU Radio Malibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.